0: Welcome back to the Riabu Podcast with Simon Littlewood and Mark Laudy. Last week, we talked about what you must do to survive the COVID crisis. We talked about such fun things as cutting operating costs and ensuring that you at least have a plan to get through the current issues. This week, we are onto much happier items, such as developing a post-crisis growth objective. We covered that yesterday. And today, Simon... You know, it does feel a bit premature, but I'm sure you've got a reason for talking about it. Targeting acquisitions. Who's thinking of acquiring businesses just at this time, Simon?
1: Well, one of the first things you know I said was, if you don't make a strategy at the beginning of this, then you'll end up being tactical—that is, responding to things as they occur. So, part of your strategy, right from the beginning, should have been, should be to get to a position where. You are positioned sufficiently strongly and you have enough intelligence about what's going on in the market and with your competitors and with your customers that you are able to discern new ways to grow when things start to get better. That's absolutely fundamental. So a lot of the things that you've done when you did those first five things would have helped you, for example, generate additional cash from total working capital efficiencies, reduce operating costs by shedding costs and reducing your overall expenditure to a level that's consistent with the much lower level of activity that you're seeing through this period, building skills across the team, uh, targeting acquisitions of people among your competitors and so on and so forth. So now we're actually talking about how you can use those things to grow market share. And specifically in this second of the second five items, I want to talk about how you can grow through acquisition.
0: Yes, but isn't everybody doing it tough? I mean, why buy a competitor who's also not generating any sales?
1: Well, you don't buy a competitor unless there's a strategic reason to buy that competitor. As we said previously, your first objective should be to identify customers who are dissatisfied with competitors. Um, You should be doing your homework on customers using your sales force. You should be doing your homework on competitors also using using your salesforce and other publicly available information and you should be able to figure out what customers you can take from your competitors competitors who may be struggling with cash flow who may be struggling with meeting service standards because they've had to let people go or in one way or another are not dealing with the crisis very well you should be figuring out how to acquire some of that activity if you so are
0: and so when you say acquiring that activity, that's not the same as buying the whole farm, is it?
1: No, no, but you don't you don't buy the whole farm. If you can get the stock without buying the farm, that's really the point. Buying a company is a substantial very often a substantial investment. And when you buy the company, you acquire a lot of other things. You acquire assets and people and so on and so forth. So the first thing to have looked at, and we've talked about this before, is how you can grow market share by acquiring customers who are not happy or by adding to your product set or all of those things. The second thing, which is more complicated, is where there's a strategic reason for doing it, then acquire a customer or a share in a customer. What's a strategic reason? Well, a customer who has technology that you want, a customer who has access to parts of the regional market through their network of distribution or sales that you do not have, a customer who has particular capability in a particular area. these might and again it's a it's a question of cost but these might be good reasons to acquire a customer actually another one would be relationships with suppliers if a customer is part of an integrated value chain has a particularly good relationship with a set of suppliers which enable them to get product or service at a particular advantageous rate or on a particularly advantageous service basis that is sooner than anyone else that could be another very good reason so there are a range of reasons for buying a competitor, but those reasons should essentially be strategic reasons. The fact that you want to take their customers is not in and of itself a a sufficient reason. Yeah.
0: Right. So it's almost like you want to you only need to buy a company, a customer. I'll say that again. You only need to buy a competitor when they're, they're really going to build your business in ways that you weren't able to previously. And market share on its own is not one of them.
1: So it's complementarity so it's it's it it gives us more or better things that we currently have so 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 something to guard against and goodness we see so much of this you know there's a there's an axiom in consulting which says that something like 80 percent of acquisitions destroy value that's because companies with war chests go out and acquire companies that really aren't related to them and end up destroying value so don't make the mistake of going out and moving into a completely different area of the market what you're essentially trying to do is to buy capability that you do not have in your business that you understand very well. And as we said, that could be a range of capability. If you have a company that has capability but is short of cash and is struggling, you might be able to obtain a strategic share in that company, and that might be enough to get you access to the things that they have, like the favourable supplier agreements, like the distribution network, et cetera, et cetera. But even
0: even in companies that are related, Simon, sometimes the the cultural gap is such that they still can't make it work. I'm thinking of AOL Time Warner 20 years ago as one celebrated coin, uh, point. Both media companies, but it just didn't work.
1: So when you go through scoring, and, and, and by all means circle back to Riabu after this if you're interested in this, but you should have a quantitative way of scoring potential acquisitions based on the potential future economic value that that acquisition might deliver, firstly, and also on the level of alignment, that is the ability to integrate uh, of that particular acquisition. So you might have, there might be lots of economic opportunity, but to your point, if they operate in a very different way, if they have a very different set of ethics, uh, if you anticipate that there's going to be a real cultural clash, then that might deter you from acquiring them. And, and I think the point that you make, and it's a very good point, because I've been in companies that have been acquired where there have been um, terrible conflicts. And you know, the theory of acquisition usually is we take the best of everything that we've got and we and we essentially adopt that, but that's not what happens at all. What happens is that the most powerful element in a particular geography gets to call the shots, typically, uh, irrespective of whether they're best at certain things or not. So you get a kind mm. of culture, culture war which which generally settles down eventually with a lot of very unhappy people and with a lot of losses. So um, you're absolutely <laughs> right. To, you're absolutely right to call that out. Yep. Um,
0: okay. So so let, let's say though that you've got yourself an acquisition target. It makes strategic sense because they're going to add things to you that you've not been able to get yourself, technology, relationships, as you mentioned. Do you now go in and go in at a bargain basement price, expecting them to be up for a fire sale? How do you approach it in this time?
1: Well, the, the question of how you approach them and how you negotiate is a, very long, is a very long one because it really depends on the situation. If they are a competitor of yours, it would be disappointing if you didn't already have a number of sources of intelligence within that organisation, it's like, it's like any sales effort. You begin with what I call a guide, that is somebody who will tell you what's going on, but who is not necessarily the person you need to talk to to start the negotiation. So you need confirmation that your suppositions about their financial situation, their potential readiness to deal, are correct. And once you've confirmed that and you've established it, you can do more work on precisely what you might go in with and who you might talk to so there are a number of steps the first is to make sure that you have actually understood the situation correctly and and that's tremendously important the second second of course would be to build a list of stakeholders within that organization and figure out who the friendly ones are likely to be and work through them Um, and the third one would then be to try and work through a series of scenarios because the idea is to maximize your economic benefit for the for the minimum level of investment. So it might well be that a strategic investment of cash that keeps them going, if they're, if they're, for example, if they're sort of short of working capital, and I've seen this time and time again, um, will enable them to keep going. And because they need it quite badly and they can't borrow any more money, it might be that they would then grant you access to the things that you need, which is favorable supply relationships, capacity in their manufacturing or blending plants or whatever it is that they have. Uh, access to specific technology and then perhaps downstream access to markets where you're currently not represented or are not very strong through their distribution capabilities so um that's the way that i that i would start doing it but it but it's a complicated issue and i think that's it's appropriate to have another discussion about that yeah
0: Right. Okay. Well, just two more points then in our already very long discussion. The first is whether you should do a merger instead of an acquisition. And I'm thinking here of companies like Air France and KLM, which merged their back offices some years ago, so that they could save uh, extra cash. Is a merger of equals likely on the cards, do you think, uh, for many companies? Given the fact that um, maybe they don't want to take each other over, maybe they don't even have the clout to take each other over, but a merger makes good sense to cut those costs that you were talking about last week.
1: Well, it depends what your brand ambitions are. I mean, you know, um, a merger implies that you keep both of your identities to some degree. Um, I've seen many of them fail. Uh, You know, the ideal thing to do if you're acquiring another company is to figure out the best things that each each company has, put them together and create something that's rather new in terms of both its culture and in terms of the way that it operates. I've pretty well never seen that happen. Um, What happens is that one company, typically the one that's putting in most money, becomes the dominant force and it gets the other entity to defer to what it wants, whether what it does or whether what its best practices. Are, is better than than the target and you know you pick air france and 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 klm well you know both state-related companies uh, not efficient um, entitlement culture in the, specifically and particularly in the case of air france it, enormously difficult to create an effective merger except that you know that you can constantly get government money if things go wrong which is what air france are doing right now uh, so i think that's that's an artificial situation um, right. I would, the idea is to take what you want with a minimum level of involvement and a minimum level of cash. Yeah, It's maximum influence, maximum economic benefit, minimum complexity, minimum cash. And this is the delight of being in a situation like the situation we're in at the moment. Lots of companies that are basically sound. They've got good people, good capabilities, good distribution, good technology. But what they haven't got is they haven't got resilience and they're short of cash and they profit and they're in trouble. Opportunity to go in there, take those capabilities, help them out.
0: Now let's take off the buyer hat for a minute, Simon, and I know you like it when I spring questions on you unprepared, let's put on the seller's hat. Let's say you are one of those companies that's struggling. You don't have cash to take anybody over. Heck, you don't even have cash just to keep the business going. Let's say you want to at least extract some value out of your business by putting yourself up for sale. Now, I know that's not what we're trying to talk about here in the series of podcasts where it's about surviving and prospering. Putting yourself up for sale is almost like admitting defeat. But how do some of the things that you've talked about over the last feels like an hour was probably only 10 minutes um, actually turn around when you are the seller of the asset?
1: But well, if you have a, a small company where a particular individual has been fundamental to, to building it, and I've been in situations like this and it has an enormous pride in it, then recognize their pride and, their, and, and the value that they take in their business. Don't, don't take away anything more than you need to take away. You don't necessarily meet, need to make fundamental changes to the way that they think and operate if they have a successful culture and they're only in temporary difficulties. What you need is to ensure that you, as a separate entity, and I'm talking without acquiring them, but taking a share but not acquiring them, what you as a separate entity need from them. It's a quid pro quo. And indeed, if you show that you're prepared to let them keep the things that are important to them, such as status, title, so on and so forth, you might find that they are willing to deal. Um, They're certainly likely to favor you over somebody who comes along and says, we're going to give you a pile of money, disappear, um, which is... An awful situation for many companies.
0: Okay, well, that's a very useful answer, but it wasn't actually the question I asked. The question I asked was, what if you are the company being targeted? What if you well, are the one who's run out of cash and you are looking for a white knight to come and pour some cash in and hopefully leave as much of your business intact as possible? How do the things that you talked about previously flip over to the sell side, considering that the first part of our podcast was all about the buy side?
1: Well, there are lots of famous stories about people that end up working in their, in a company that they once owned. Um, and you know it really depends what you want. You may feel in a situation like that is that, that you want to take enough cash and disappear. Um, if a much larger potential um, acquirer comes along that has the ability to absorb everything that you have into their own organization, they're likely to want to keep you for a short period of time at least. Typically, you have clauses like that in acquisition contracts. Um, And it may be that after a certain period of time, you want to go. Um, It's really horses for courses. And if they're good at what they do, they will already have figured out what you're likely to want coming out of this. Um, It's very unusual, unless a company is being very badly run, that an acquirer will come along by the company and then get rid of all the management. Because when you do that, unless they are very bad, you're losing an awful lot of things. You're losing competence, knowledge, history, customer relationships. All of these things. So typically, you know, there'd be some kind of a lock-in clause for key people. Um, so, you know, I'd be looking for that. Um, and then I'd be looking for an exit if that's what I wanted. But, you know, these, these are complicated questions. And it's, it's very much down to the individual situation. Yeah?
0: I wish we were sitting together drinking coffee and talking about this, Simon. But I appreciate your time here on the podcast. And uh, we look forward to the next
1: episode. What are you going to talk about tomorrow? Well, I'm going to talk about being ready to recruit. You're going to be strateg- talking about recruiting with any luck. Yes, be ready to recruit strategically. So, you know, your competitors, perhaps the same competitors that we've been talking about today, have been struggling a bit. What happens when companies struggle is that people that aren't able to sell themselves in the job market, that is, the less brilliant employees, kind of cling on by their fingernails, but the smart people who know they're good start to get nervous and they become open. So. Let's not, let's not anticipate tomorrow, but they're typically in a situation of uncertainty or opportunities to recruit strategically. We'll talk about that tomorrow.
0: Looking forward to it. Thanks, Simon.